All right, we're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 6. This is a scary passage. It's going to be a real scary passage. Yeah, I pushed a button. This is going to be a scary passage to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. This is going to kind of frighten you a little bit. And believe me, this passage, as well as one will come on later in chapter 10, has been used repeatedly to scare believers. Literally, what they're trying to do, those who use this passage to scare you, are literally trying to scare the hell out of you. In other words, they're trying to motivate you to follow their program, whatever religious program it is, out of fear. And they use this passage to do so. So let me just read it to you so you kind of get the idea of what I'm talking about here. Back in chapter 5, the closing verses of chapter 5, he said, i got a lot of things to tell you about this guy named Melchizedek. i got a lot of things to tell you about him and what it means to you personally, but I can't really do it because you are dull of hearing, what he says. Now I'll come back and explain what that means, dull of hearing, in a moment. And he contrasts those who are little baby Christians in need of milk with those who are mature Christians that are able to take the strong meat. We'll come back to that analogy here in a moment. But based on that, he goes on in verse 1 of chapter 6 to say this, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And he explains why here. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Does that sound scary? Well, let me, let me give you an idea of what he's talking about here. First of all, we have to understand who are we talking about when he talks about these who have, as, as he put it in verse here, let me read it again to you. Those who were enlightened, once enlightened, the light bulb came on, 
and have tasted of the heavenly gift, the gift of salvation, and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, had the Holy Spirit come into them. Who's that sound like he's talking about? Hmm? He's talking about Christians. He's talking about believers. He's talking about people who were born again. That means he's talking about you. You say, oh my word. What's impossible? It's in if you shall fall away. It's impossible to renew you again under repentance. Starting to sound a little scarier. If you shall fall away, you can't renew, be renewed again under repentance. Because you are crucifying to your Son of God afresh, or crucifying to yourselves the Son of God afresh and putting Him to an open chain. Man, that sounds like bad news here, doesn't it? And believe me, this passage has been used to scare a lot of Christians. Let me illustrate. If you fall away from attending church services, if you fall away from coming to the Bible study, if you fall away from tithing of your money and your income, if you fall away from being a good Christian, it's impossible to renew you again under repentance. And they tack on, by the way, you're going to hell. Scary, isn't it? Anybody that's serious about pleasing God, anybody that's serious about their relationship to Jesus would naturally be frightened by that type of instruction. They're scared. Now, if you think this one's bad, wait till we get to chapter 10. Okay. But I'll have you prepped by then. It's a scary thing. And people, Bible teachers, preachers, have used this kind of this passage and this verse over and over again to scare people and to prove that if you don't behave yourself, it's possible for you to die and go to hell. So you better behave yourself. And of course, they give you a list of things to do to behave yourself. Right? That's not at all what this passage is saying. So let's go back to the beginning. What was he complaining about at the end of chapter 5? He said, look, i got a lot more good news to tell you, but you're not able to bear it right now. Even though you've been born again, even though you've been a Christian, even though you've professed faith in Jesus as the Messiah to these Hebrews, and it's been long enough now, approximately two decades, it's been long enough now that you ought to be teaching others these principles. You have need 
Did I go back and teach you the first principles of the oracles of God? You know how many times I've encountered that in 40 years of ministry? I'm talking Christians have gone to church over and over again every week. Been a Christian for years and they still don't know the first principles of the oracles of God. I've seen it over and over again. So it's not a problem that's just relegated to the Hebrew believers that he's writing this letter to. This is a problem that is as modern as today. We have the same problem today among believers. They're still baby Christians and they're still Christians. And I want to get that out of the way right off the bat. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers about believers. And so when we read this passage, it applies to us as believers. And even though the condition he's describing may sound scary, it doesn't mean that you're not a believer. It means that you're in a scary position for you. So he says, we're going to go on to maturity now. So, tighten up your seatbelts here, because what he's saying is, hey, we're going to move on. Even though some people will never get this. And he realizes that. Little baby Christians have missed the whole point. But we're going to go on to maturity. We're not going to lay again the first principles of the oracles of God. The first principles of the oracles of God, just put it in a nutshell that you all can relate to. I know you can because I've taught you this. Just to put it in this nutshell, the first principles of the oracles of God is the heart of the Gospel that declares who God said He made you to be. The first principles of the oracles of God is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are inseparably joined to Christ. You have become a new person. The old person you were was crucified with Christ, buried with Him, and God created and raised up a brand new person. And that's the person you are right now. First principles. Basic ABCs of the Gospel. Everybody follow me on that? See, it's radically different than the Gospel that's being preached out there that says, if you trust Jesus as your personal Savior, you might not have to go to hell if you behave yourself. And they offer you not eternal life, they offer you probationary life. And if you behave yourself according to the way I think you and all Christians ought to behave, then maybe you won't have to go to hell. That's not the Gospel, folks. That's not even close. That's a perversion of the Gospel. That's what Paul called in Galatians chapter 1 another of a different, completely different kind of Gospel. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel, the ABCs, the Gospel of the first oracles of God 
is that the very first thing God did was crucify the old person you were, bury that sucker once and for all, and raise you up as a brand new person. Now that's good news. You're no longer the same person you always thought you were. You're a brand new person created in Christ. That's the A, B, C elementary things of the Gospel. But you can forget that Gospel, can't you? Hmm? Oh yeah. We forget that Gospel. We forget that good news. It's like Peter warned us in his general letter. He said, add to your faith. And he gives you a whole list of, of virtues to add to your faith. Growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord because if you don't, you'll wind up forgetting that you were ever a brand new person. And you'll fall back into all that old conditioning and think of yourself as you used to be. So it starts with the ABCs that God has made you a brand new person. And so when we get down to that scary verse here, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted of the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away. What's he talking about here? He's talking about a condition that is all too common among believers. Not only the Hebrew believers that he was writing this to initially, but all believers ever since. If they shall fall away. What does that mean? That means you forget who you are. You forget who God has made you to be. You leave and fall away from that. Now, Paul also warned the Galatians about this. The same thing, only used different terminology. In chapter 5 of Galatians, he says, I want you to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And we could add our own little parentheses to get you in the context here. As a brand new person, Christ has made you free. And He's given you liberty. And He's given you freedom. And I want you to stand fast in that and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What's that yoke of bondage? That's falling back into the old way of thinking about yourself, about God, about others. He said, I don't want you to be entangled again. Why? He goes on in that very same context because to say, if you submit your point yourself to one religious works point, and he used circumcision as the example, which was in his day at that time, that was a big issue. You see that there was a rift going on in the churches of Galatia that said, you can't truly be saved. You can't really be a Christian. You can't really be a child of God unless you're circumcised. Now you ladies, you weren't even in consideration there because your husband had to be circumcised or your daddy had to be circumcised in order for you to be saved. He said, well, that's really weird, man. That's silly. Well, how about this? You're not really a Christian unless you go to church. You're not really a Christian 
unless you read your Bible. You're not really a Christian unless you listen to Christian music. You're not really a Christian unless you've been baptized. You're not really a Christian unless you speak in tongues. You see the similarity there? What are they questioning? They're questioning whether you're really a Christian or not. They're questioning your identity. The very thing that God said He made you to be in Christ. Galatians are being troubled by that. False teachers came in and said, You've got to be circumcised, or you're not really a Christian. And they fell for it. Paul said, If you submit yourself to one of those points, one of those points that questions your identity, Christ profits you nothing. What? You're not trusting Jesus for anything. You're trusting your baptism. You're trusting your church attendance. You're trusting your good works. You're trusting many other things besides Jesus. So, He didn't profit you at all. And if you follow through with that and become entangled with that yoke of bondage, He says, you make Jesus of none effect unto you. You've left Jesus out of the picture altogether. There's no faith in Him. All of it's on you. What you have done, what you haven't done. What you should do, what you could do, what you would do. The focus is not on Him and what He's done. You, Paul goes on to say to these Galatians, are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. Kind of sounds like fallen away, doesn't it? Same thing. You've fallen away from grace. Trusting the grace of God to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Into a yoke of bondage of you saving yourself. Now, there's so many varieties of this. I don't want you to, to narrow it down here to just religious varieties. There's Secular varieties of falling from grace as well. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. And this country is full of it. Because we have learned to trust everything and everyone except God and what He's done for us in Christ to make us okay. We've learned to trust our money. That's serious blasphemy there. And in our honor, money. We've got in God we trust. Horse poop. In money we trust. Forget God. Money's what gets the job done. Not God. What a lie. Big money is what's running this country. Not God. What a lie. We've fallen from grace and trusting everything and everyone but God. 
believers are just as susceptible today to falling away as these Hebrews were in Paul's day. See, at least the Hebrews kind of had an excuse, you know. The Jews he was writing this letter to, they had a little bit of an excuse because if they publicly announced that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they got kicked out of the synagogue. That means they lost their job, they lost their family, they lost all of their possessions, they were wide open for persecution. So what did they do? They said, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Maybe I need to go back to the temple and offer some sacrifices and then I'll get, get all this stuff off my back. They had pretty good reason to fall away. If they shall fall away, he says, it's impossible to renew them again under repentance. Why? Because here's what falling away really involves. Falling away, falling from grace, or as Paul warned the Colossians, listening to the commandments of men, same kind of thing, it all involves this one thing. Crucifying to yourself the Son of God afresh and putting Him to an open shame. That's the mentality of falling away. That's the mentality of falling from grace. The mentality is the same mentality that cried, crucify Him. Now let's look at that in the historical context for a moment. Maybe it'll make sense to you. Remember that multitude that cried, Hosanna, Lord, save now? when Jesus came riding on that donkey into Jerusalem, remember? There was a huge multitude. And it shook the whole city. Less than a week later, that same multitude standing outside of Pilate's place cried, Crucify Him. We don't need Him. We don't want Him. We don't need Him. Crucify Him. Now here's a little, little hard to take, but we've got to get honest with this. Whenever I fall prey, and I'll use myself as an example, whenever I fall prey to the old way of thinking, whenever I fall prey to... the doubts that I've had over the years. And I get to thinking in my mind, you know, in order for me to be okay, I've got to have something or someone more than what I've got. What God has provided for me. God has told us from cover to cover in his book, his revelation, repeatedly over and over, the first principles of the oracles of God. You know what they are? Let me put them down in simple English and language for you. God has said he has done everything necessary 
to make you absolutely secure in His love and absolutely significant in His plan. You, as a person, can't get any more secure than you are right now. You, as a person, can't get any more important than you are right now. Because God has made you worthy. God has made you okay by what He's done for you in Christ. That's the truth. And it's illustrated over and over again in Scriptures. That's the truth about you. So when the doctor gives you bad news, does that mean you're insecure? No. You're still secure as a person. When bad stuff happens to you, does that mean you're not important? No. You're still important. Why? Because God made you important. Now the question is, are you going to believe that or not? When we fall away, we don't believe that. We believe now, whereas before, I was secure, now I'm insecure. Why? Well, I don't have enough money. Whereas before I was important, now I'm unimportant. Why? Because those people don't like me. God didn't change. You're still just as secure and significant as you were before. He didn't change at all. Well, what changed? In our minds, we fell away. Why? Because in our minds, we say to ourselves, not consciously, out loud, so you can hear it, but subconsciously in your heart, what you're saying is, Jesus, I don't need you. What I really need is a job. Jesus, I don't need you. What I really need is my wife to come back. Jesus, I don't need you. What I really need is for my kids to behave. Jesus, I don't need you. What I really need, you just fill in the blank. Doesn't matter. And that's what we're obsessed on. That's what we want. That's what we really believe we've got to have to be okay. Not Jesus. So we've got the same mentality as crucify Him. We don't need Him. And we put Him to an open shame. Why? You see, when I as a believer announce to people, anybody, I'm a child of God. I am one with Christ. And I start acting like and whining like an unbeliever. It puts Jesus to an open shame. I said, oh, is that what a Christian looks like? Now, be honest with me. How many, how many of you have heard this? I can't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. Huh? You ever hear that? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of hip- hypocrites in church, man. They go to church and they pretend they're all holy on Sunday, and on Monday, they're out putting the screws to people, ripping them off, right? They say they're believers, but they're not acting like one. You see, being a Christian, being a child of God, and acting like one are totally different concepts, aren't they? 
I have to confess, and I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, you do too, that there have been times where even though I'm a Christian, I didn't act like one. You see, all of us struggle with hypocrisy. And it's not just in the church, by the way. There's as much hypocrisy in government and the secular world out there as there is in churches. Now, what's our author talking about? He's saying, look, it's impossible to renew them again under repentance. And this is what the danger is here. We say, oh man, once you fall away, you can't get back. No, it's impossible for you to renew them again. It's the same attitude Jesus had that He explained to His disciples concerning the Pharisees. His disciples came and said, oh man, the Pharisees are offended. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? He said, leave them alone. Leave them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, they'll fall into the ditch. Now when they get in the ditch, then maybe you can help them. Leave them alone. That's what Paul is applying here. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, we're going to go on to maturity. And in this next chapter, he'll go on talking about Melchizedek. But he said, we're going to go on. Even though some of you are too immature to hear it, we're going to go on. Why? Because we can't change your thinking. There's no way for me to change your thinking. That's what repentance is. I do that with people all the time. When I counsel with people individually, I'll tell them the truth of the Gospel. I'll tell them who God made them be. I'll teach them how to listen to the Spirit. Follow His leadership. But I can't change their thinking. But here's the good news. What I can't do, what's impossible with me, God can. For all things are possible with Him. Amen. And He does. And so Paul closes with this final illustration here about the grace of God in rain. Rain coming upon the earth. In these last two verses he says, you know, the, work, the, the earth drinks in the rain that comes off and upon it. What's that a picture of? That's a picture of God's grace being poured out. Just like Titus said, the grace of God appears to all men. That grace that brings salvation appears to all men. Teaching us. The rain falls on the earth. Often. The grace of God comes. But how is it received? For some, it brings forth good fruit. For others, it brings forth thorns and bristles and briars. So there's a difference in response to the grace of God. The grace of God comes on some people and it brings forth the good fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. But that same grace comes on some people who fall away from it. And what it causes is the manifestation of the works of the flesh. 
for reasons we're going to talk about later. He says, now, when it brings forth good fruit, that's good. You can harvest. You get a good harvest. When it brings forth the weeds, it needs to be burned. Here again, it's kind of scary, and that's why people will take this passage and say, well, you're going to burn in hell. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a purging process, which God does. But then he says in verse 9, and I want to leave you with this, in case you're really scared. Because I have the same attitude towards you as Paul had in verse 9. Or the writer of Hebrews. I keep calling him Paul because I think he did. But beloved, my loved ones, the ones who are loved of God and of me, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though thus we speak. There's a stern warning here against rejecting the grace of God as a lifestyle, as a way to live your life by faith. There's a stern warning of going back into that natural lifestyle after you've been born of the Spirit. But that doesn't mean you're lost. You're still beloved. Even though we lapse back into the old lifestyle, it doesn't mean that we're not new persons created in Christ. So he says, Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And what are those better things? That you go on to maturity. That you are able to exercise the faith that God has given you to increase in grace and knowledge of the Lord. We are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. See, when you're born again, man, that's just the start. That's just the beginning. There are many, many more things to come that are good. We are persuaded that that's where you're headed even though we're talking like this. We're persuaded. Better things of you. And he gives the reason why in the next two verses he says, For God is not unjust to forget your labor of love that you've manifested toward Him and His saints. You see the outgrowth of the grace of God being alive in you. Of you living in the grace of God as a believer, is that you actually love other people just like Christ. That's the whole purpose of it. The whole purpose of those ABCs of God making you a brand new person in Christ Jesus is so that you can be Christ to other people. So that you can love like Jesus. That's the whole reason. He says, I'm persuaded of better things of you. You're going to get there. You're going to grow. You're going to learn. Even though I've given you a stern warning. So yes, there's a danger. There's a danger of turning away from God, crucifying to ourselves the Son of God afresh and putting Him to an open shame. 
Yes, there's a danger of living that kind of a miserable lifestyle right here and right now as a believer. It's the same kind of lifestyle that Brother Lot lived. Remember Lot? Abraham's nephew? Who went down into Sodom and Gomorrah? Vexed his righteous soul his entire life? But he was a believer. Even though he had to live a miserable life for our example. Yes, there's a danger in that. But that doesn't mean that you have to stay there. God is able to renew you again under repentance, to change your thinking, and to bring you around through the exercise of your faith. And what He's done for you, you can't do for yourselves. So He ends on a good note, and then He'll get back to Melchizedek and the promises that God has for all of us to enjoy. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, we come into Your presence right now. I thank You. I thank You for the warning that You give us concerning falling back away from grace, falling away from all that You've done for us, against forgetting who You've made us to be. I thank You for that warning, Father, and I ask You to continue to lead us and direct us by Your Spirit as only You can do. To open our eyes and our understanding so we know that You're in charge that you are doing what's best for us regardless of what it looks like so that we can have that hope that is steadfast and sure, that hope in Jesus, the priest, our priest, after the order of Melchizedek. For these things we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.